great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. I recently was watching an interview with a favorite author of mine, um, not a theological author, a fantasy author. And he has written prolifically and uh, created many different worlds, uh, many different heroes, many different heroines, great adventure. And he was asked this question, if you could live in any one of those worlds, which one would you live in? And his answer struck me as funny. He said, well, none of them. Because they were all like fantasy worlds where you had swords and you rode horses. And he said, I like hospitals. I like the internet, having knowledge out there. I like plumbing, indoor plumbing. It's quite a nice thing. And I thought it was quite a funny but also a good response Because he was acknowledging the fact that we live in a time that's very unprecedented, where we have resources all around us that those for the majority of the history of the world have not had. We have health care. We have technology. And hopefully we make good uses of those resources, managing our health, managing our knowledge. But for the Christian... We have also been given many great resources, things that God has provided for us, things that are meant to help us in the Christian life, to help us in our doubt, to inform us of who God is, to what we are to know about him and how we have relationship with him. We have been given many great resources. And this is what the writer of Hebrews has been continually reminding us about. You need to persevere in your faith. And how do you do this? And he's pointed us many places. He said, you need to enjoy Christian fellowship. Be among the body of Christ. It's an encouragement to you. He says, you need, last week we looked at this, he said, you need the word of God. These words that impart life. This is a resource that you've been given. And today he comes and says, and you have prayer. You get to approach with confidence, he says in in verse 16, the throne of God. And you do this through prayer. It is through prayer that we receive grace, we receive mercy. We see the power of God. And it moves us along a way that God has planned for us. So as we come and consider this this morning, I want to see three things. I believe in giving proper credit, which proper credit is due. I was reading a commentary this week, and I got three points stuck in my head. And no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get those three points out of my head. So I said, well, I'm going to use them, at least the points, if not the application of the points. But I have to give credit. Richard Phillips, these are his three points for this text. 
Requirement, reason, and resource. It's very good and succinct. Requirement, reason, and resource. These are the three things we're going to consider this morning. We begin by looking at the requirement. The requirement that the writer of Hebrews has been telling us is to have. We must persevere in the Christian life. In fact, this is why he starts this. Since we have a great high priest. He's saying, because we have a great high priest, you are required to persevere. And let me give you another step of the reasons of why you should persevere in the Christian faith. To not seek treasures on this earth, but to seek your treasures in heaven. To be a people who lay your hearts Not in this world, but in heaven. Because you have a great high priest who has gone before you. We're going to look at that more in a second. But he goes on to say this. Because we have this great high priest, let us hold fast our confession. Confession comes, this word confession in the English comes from the Latin word credo. Of course, we've probably heard that. The creeds. We talk about creeds, right? It means I believe. That's what confession It says we must hold fast to what I believe or what we believe. And so when we, we read a creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, when we read catechisms, which are kind of the same thing, or confessions, you know, the Westminster Confession, larger catechism, stuff like that we've been going through, they are words that are meant to invoke Our belief, what is it that we believe? And we know documents error, right? It's it's not the confession themselves, the creeds themselves that hold authority. It's what they confess in. We are to hold fast in what we believe. That means we have to have some sort of belief. We must We have to be thinking about our faith, putting our faith into words. J.C. Ryle, a writer, a theological writer says this. A religion without doctrine or dogma is a thing which many are fond of talking about in the present day. It sounds very fine at first. It looks very pretty at a distance. But the moment we sit down to examine and consider it, We shall find it a simple impossibility. We might as well talk of a body without bones or sinew. I'm going to stop there for a second. That's not the end of the quote, but I love that image. What is a body without bones or sinew? It's a lump, right? There is no shape to it. There is no definition to it. It cannot move. It cannot do anything. He goes on to say this. No man will ever be anything or do anything in religion Unless he believes something. No one ever fights earnestly against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Unless he has engraven on his heart certain great principles which he believes. I find that to be a very striking statement today. When many of what we might call evangelicalism is trying to rid the church of doctrine. And they do this by saying this. If it's good for you, if that's what is good for you, then that's okay. And you can have your truth. And I'll have my truth. 
and we'll just all get along, right? And what it's creating is, and I love the imagery here because God says his church is his body, is a body with no bones. It's useless. (laughs) In fact, a body with no bones can't even feed itself. It's destined, it's for death. We must hold fast our confession, our creed, our belief, as if our lives depended upon it, because guess what? They do. That's exactly right, Nate Cato. Our lives depend upon it. They depend on what we believe. We must, we are required to persevere in the faith. It's not enough to simply start in the faith and say, I'm good, I've taken care of that, and walk away. We must be laboring every single day of our life. And we persevere by knowing what we believe. Who is our God? What has he done for us? What is our proper response to what he has done for us? We are to hold fast. Let us hold fast our confession. What does that mean, hold fast? It means hold with emphasis, with strength, not loosely, hold fast. Knowing that we can only hold fast when we have knowledge of what we are holding fast to. Knowing that if we don't know what we're holding fast to, we can't hold fast. We combat the world, the flesh, and the devil with our knowledge of him. We must, that's our requirement. And then we see our reason. And it started at the beginning of 14, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. It continues into 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. What is the reason that we should hold fast to the requirement of persevering? Because we have a great high priest. So what? Sadly, we could kind of hit this and go off of it quickly and lose what this means because largely I believe the writer of Hebrews was writing to a Jewish audience. They would have had great interaction and knowledge of the high priest. And we may have some, but it doesn't strike us, I think, in the same way unless we take a moment to really consider what that means. When we talk about the Levitical priesthood, there were many uh, Levitical priests, sons of Levi, right? Uh, Aaron being the first high priest. But there was only one high priest at a time. He was like the chief of the priest, right? The leader of all the priests. There was only ever one high priest at a time. And the high priest would make atonement for the people. And by analogy, he's saying Jesus is our high priest who has secured 
our salvation. Jesus has made complete and total atonement for the people. The problem with this is when we consider our relationship to Jesus, it can be terrifying. When we talk about Jesus as our high priest, uh, he's not like an earthly high priest who brings unnamed sins uh, to the Ark of the Covenant. He is a high priest who has intimate knowledge of you. When we talk about prayer, which we're going to talk about more in a second, why do a lot of us struggle with our prayer relationship before God? I think the answer to that is we come with what we perceive as an unworthiness. Because we have faith and we believe God is who he says he is. And we see the holiness of God and we see the ugliness of our own sin. And so we tell ourselves something like this. How can a wretch like me, with all my baggage and all my sinfulness and all my thoughts, approach the presence of God? It's daunting, isn't it? Knowing that nothing is hid from the sight of our high priest. And in our guilt, we can be uneasy at his searching gaze. But we are encouraged here to draw near to this high priest. And we're encouraged to draw near because he is able to sympathize with us. He has a personal relationship with what we, with us in our condition. We know that from the beginning, yes, Adam and Eve, they sinned in the garden, right? They fell into death and punishment. But from the very beginning, what was God planning to do? Even before the very beginning. But right after the fall in Genesis, we see what? I'm going to provide one for you from the lineage of the seed of the woman and he will make provision for you God takes the initiative to restore fellowship and this is what Jesus does as high priest yes the high priest and now we come back to this Jesus the high priest or the high priest in the temple once a year and you probably have heard this at times would go into the holy of holies right they would tie a rope around him just in case he had not prepared himself well. Because if he didn't prepare himself well and he went in the Holy Holies, you know what would happen to him? Dead. And they would take the rope and pull him out. Literally, it was like a, well, I wouldn't call it a lifeline. That's not exactly right. They would use it to get him out because so, they couldn't go in after him. He would go in and he'd make atonement for his own sins and the sins of his people. And then he'd go to the Ark of the Covenant where the two cherubim were on either side looking down into the Ark and God looking down into the Ark. Underneath the Ark, under its lid, were the Ten Commandments looking down at the law. The law which condemned and he would sprinkle blood over that saying we, it was a sign of we made atonement for sins. And this went on and on. Throughout the course of the year sacrifices were made. On the day of atonement that atonement was made. And it went on and it went on and it went on and it went on. And Jesus comes as the last and great high priest. And on the cross he makes that atonement. The ark wasn't there. The temple wasn't there on the, on the cross. But we see this interesting thing happen. When Jesus cries it out, it is finished. 
know what happens? The robe or the, the, the carpet that hang down from the ceiling, the curtain, split from top to bottom in half. The access point to the Holy of Holies, to the a mercy seat on the ark, gone. I believe at that point, anyone who could work their way up there and go in would have been fine. There's no more death at this point. I don't know that for a fact, but I think that's what it symbolizes. The high priest always was meant to point forward to the greater high priest, to the finished atonement of Jesus Christ. The the sacrifice that none other high priest in Israel could manage. Not Aaron, who didn't even enter the promised land, who didn't even enter the rest. Not any other high priest along the way. Jesus entered through his sacrifice into the land of rest, through heaven, heaven itself. He has finished for us our redemption. He has reconciled us to God. And he is sympathetic to us. What does that word sympathy mean? I can identify with you. Not in a, oh, that might be bad as I think about it. No, I can identify with you because I've experienced what you have experienced. I've endured the temptation of sin. But he was without sin. He is a great high priest. He's the reason that we need to persevere. He has given us protection and provision through his shed blood. He does this before the Father, even now in heaven. He is there providing for us. I love this image, and I'll never get tired of using it, of right now. Right now, Jesus is at the Father's right hand, going, those are mine. If you were in him, he's looking, saying, now remember, those are mine. It's not that God forgets. It's not that God doesn't know. But Jesus says, all those you have given me, they are mine. Those are mine. He's making intercession for us. We hold fast because of Jesus, because of who he is, because what he has done. It's the reason we have hope. We don't trust man. We don't trust human institution. We trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And the wonderful thing is that there is no deficiency in Jesus. This is the backbone of our faith, right? Of our doctrine. It's the backbone. He's enough. He is better than everything. And we should boldly come before him. This leads us to our last and third point, the resource. We have a requirement to persevere. We have a reason because Jesus is our great high priest. And how do we persevere? We have a resource. And we have talked about many resources over the last few weeks about the church and encouragement, mutual encouragement. We've talked about the word of God last week. And now we talk and we see prayer. Let us then with confidence. Understanding this let us then with confidence because Because Jesus is 
high priest, because we have a great confession. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Interestingly here, you may go, well, Daniel doesn't say anything about prayer there. Well, what is the only way that we can right now draw near to the throne of grace? It's through prayer. Where is Jesus right now? The right hand of God, the father. How do you draw near to him? You draw near to him through prayer. It's when we do this that we receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because he is high priest, because he has made sacrifice, we come to him in prayer. Why do you think so often you'll, you hear prayers in like this? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Why? Well, first off, because Jesus commanded us, right? Whenever you pray these things in my name. But is it some sort of like magic words combination? If you invoke the name of Jesus, then it'll happen? Just because you say it? No, it's because Jesus is there hearing. He says, now, again, I'm anthropomorphizing here a bit. But as we pray in Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, God, now, remember, I'm bringing them this to you through me. I'm the one making intercession for them. This is what it's, it's like. We come, we approach the throne, and that is a daunting thing. We should approach with respect, with lowly respect. You wouldn't just barge into the Queen of England and be like, Hey, Queen, how's it going? Can I call you Queenie? No, you wouldn't do that, right? No, you come with reverence and respect. If we're going to do this in an earthly court, how much more should we do it? To the throne of heaven. But we also come with great joy. It's not something we have to fear. And through the history of earthly kings, I'm sure there were many, many, many times, more often more than not, that people went before the earthly king with great fear. What can this king do to me? That's not how we come before our God, though, before Jesus. We come with great joy because he has extended his grace and his mercy that's what it says here draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy we are favored children of God we share in the inheritance of Jesus this is the the argument that the writer's been making so come with great joy but also come with great expectation with great expectation that hey guess what My prayers are going up to the all-powerful God of all creation who can do anything. He can do anything. We should come with great expectation that he will answer our prayers. While at the same time coming with contentment upon his sovereign will. come with respect, we come with joy, we come with large expectations, and we come with confidence. We can be confident that God will hear our prayers. It's not, you you think about history or even as I talk about reading these fantasy books, there's always would be a king. I want to get an audience with a king. Will I have that audience? Will I not? 
It's at the whim of the king. That's not how we come before our king. We come with confidence because Jesus has secured for us access through his blood. And if all this is true, what should we do when it comes with prayer? One commentator said it this way. We should pray often, we should pray openly, and we should pray boldly. Often, open, and boldly. And far too often, we treat prayer as something to be scared of. We don't have to be scared of prayer. Because we have a, a, a Savior who hears us. No matter how many times we stumble, no matter how many times we blunder, he loves us and he's listening to us. When my three-year-old son comes to me and says a sentence that I don't get to understand, I don't look at him and go, will you get out of my presence? I can't understand you. And if I did, you would think, you are a horrible person. I don't do that. Why don't I do that? Because I love my son. And I say, for me, I go, what did you say, Joe? Help me understand what you're saying. Okay, but here's here's the difference between us. Guess what? God loves you in the same way. And he doesn't say, you stumbled and bumbled. Get out of here. But not only that, he has the Holy Spirit going, taking our words, taking our desires, and bringing them before God. He's helping us. So we don't have to worry. We come with confidence. Pray often. Pray openly. Pray boldly. Knowing that it's not a throne of good works. It's not a throne of eloquent words. It's not a throne of saying the right thing in the right order. It is a throne of grace. A throne of grace and a throne of mercy. You were covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And your prayers are received with care and kindness. You have one who is able to save you completely. He has done all of this out of his love for you. And he has given to you as an inheritance and a treasure prayer. Pray. Pray. Pray often. Pray boldly. Draw near with reverence and with joy, with great expectation, and with the confidence of sons and daughters. There's a way in which I imagine at this point, if I could convince my wife to come in here that if Joe came in he would run right up here he would say daddy and you may look at that and of course you might go oh but you may look at that and go well I would never do that I would never just walk up to the pulpit while the minister's preaching but that's the access we have to God that we get to run boldly up to the throne of God 
You're a son and a daughter. And guess what? Your, your father wants you to come to his throne. Not that this is my throne. That's my throne. I like my throne right there. It's a very comfortable chair. Prayer is this wondrous thing where we get to approach the eternal throne of God. We get to come and talk to him and he, get, and he hears us and we know that he hears us. It is wondrous that this has been made available to us. It's been made available to us through the shed blood of Jesus. So let us be a people who do not neglect the resource of prayer. I jokingly talked about the lifeline between uh, the, the rope that tied around the high priest, the, not Jesus, but the other high priest. But prayer really is that lifeline for us, isn't it? It is through prayer that we are sustained in our relationship with God. It's where we grow in our relationship with him. We grow more dependent upon him. And it cannot be a throwaway thing that we take or leave. Which sadly, it tends to be the first thing that gets thrown away when things get busy. You have been given one of the greatest resources to help you in your perseverance. To keep you from wandering in the faith. To keep your eyes focused on God. And we are called to take advantage of this precious gift. So in summation, you have a requirement. You are to persevere in faith. Faith cannot be something we neglect. We must hold fast to the God who saves us. Why? What is your reason? Because Jesus is better. Better than what? Everything. Everything. And you have a resource. You have each other, you have the word, and you have prayer. Prayer is not a duty. It is a privilege. We must do it because we need it. We need it. It's the way we endure in faith. It's the way we stay in relationship with our God. Let us then with confidence, with confidence, draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We must come before him. For in him we find help. In Jesus, we have access to the throne of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have looked at prayer. We have seen the wonderful truth of the access we have. And yet, Lord, it is easy for us to act as if we do not believe it. We show that we don't believe it through our inaction, from, from our 
not coming in prayer, for our not being the first thing that we do, and oftentimes being the last thing that we do, if even that. Like Paul, we cry out, Lord, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Shake our tired minds. Grow us in our faith. Draw us to you through the act of prayer. As we come into relationship with you, we ask and pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.